Season three of Stranger Things is about to come out, so we are going back through seasons one and two. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay on today's podcast. Brianna, who's a patron of ours, thank you so much, Brianna, and Anthony Holder, one of our guest bloggers and a super smart philosophical dude, joins me to dig deeper into seasons one and two of Stranger Things. But don't miss out on future episodes related to any of our other upcoming series. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. For articles written by Ashley Pauls and the aforementioned Anthony Holder and access to all of our premium content, including our aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. On today's aftercast, Brianna and I will dig a little deeper into the upside down, into some of the subplots, and even more. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Stranger Things Season 1 and Season 2. All right, so let's transition into these characters because these characters are amazing and they really make the show. So which character, Anthony, in your opinion, has the best character arc and what makes their character arc so compelling? Yeah, okay. So uh, my, my first thought, like my reflex when I hear the question was to immediately say Steve, Steve mm-hmm. Harrington. Uh, and that's, I, I think, mainly because I, I still mainly think of Steve from season one. Like, if we were just talking about season one mm. on its own, it would definitely be Steve. The, the, like, the way that he goes from being that greasy uh, jerk who's just, <laughs> like, horrible to everybody. Like, the scene where he breaks Jonathan's camera... It's just, oh, yeah. I hate it. you hate it. Uh, yeah, but, totally. but then he grows and, and the, the, the scene with when he's got the baseball bat and he's fighting off the Demogorgon in the house, like that's, that's thrilling. It's, it's excellent. So you really can't not love him. No but then in season two, and I mean, I don't hate what happens with him in season two and, and he like builds the relationships, especially with, um, uh, with the kids and with, with Dustin, right? Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's just it, it, it's not it's not quite as it's not quite the same for me. So long way to say across both seasons, the character who I think has the the single best arc so far has been Hopper. Mm. Jim Hopper um, is just he is. I, I think he's in a lot of ways the most realistic character on the show. Mm. Uh, like he he reacts to a lot of the things that I think I would react in the same way that if, if I were in those situations. Just start drinking. Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he's got that mixture of, of like sarcasm, and he's just always just kind of exhausted with the world. But at the same time, he really cares. Like, and that's that's what you really see in in season two, especially like to, to how he goes from. Uh, from that first scene in season one where he's like on the couch waking up surrounded by beer cans. But yeah. like how he's like built this deep, meaningful relationship with Eleven and, and with all of these other characters. And, and, and I really love the way that David Harbour sells the role too. Like he really mm-hmm. is uh, wonderful in, in every emotion that, that he brings to the character. So yeah, there you go, yeah. Steve. But even bigger, Hopper. Okay, so Steve and Sheriff Hopper. Brianna, what do you have? Who do you have at the favorite character arc? I had the exact same answer. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think Hopper <laughs> I think Hopper had the best character arc, honestly. And 
season two taking care of uh, Eleven after his own daughter passed away. Mm. Uh, that's a big step for him. And he's starting to become the protector of the kids, which I think is really good for the audience to uh, really like Hopper's character. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good now. So this is not going to be surprising because I'm not going to disagree with you guys. But let me add a little, let me add a few things. That I think because um, I, I have a maybe slightly different answer than you guys do. Three character arcs immediately came to mind for me. The first being Eleven, but Eleven ultimately came in third for me because I feel like her arc is a fairly standard arc. Like we've mm-hmm. seen this arc before. Yep. It does make season one super compelling. Um, but I do believe that the tangent that season two takes when she gets all goth and she meets her superpowered <laughs> friend, like that to me took a little bit of, uh, uh, it was too big of a tangent for what the narrative of the show was doing. And it kind of subverted some of what was going on in her arc because it, I didn't feel like you needed it at all. It wasn't a needed episode. Um, hmm. so love, uh, love 11 Millie Bobby Brown is amazing as 11. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to see what else she does. Oh, like, absolutely. She's super talented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, that's my number three. Number two for me is Sheriff Hopper. And for all of the reasons you guys said, he's amazing, right? Like, he goes from being someone who's experienced trauma to recovering from that. He goes from a skeptic to a believer. He goes from a, like, he. I, I would call his, it's not the hero's journey, it's the hero turned bums journey (laughs) Um, and i love that arc that's a great arc um but i do feel like we've seen it a few times so i just flipped it where you guys um had it uh steve then actually having sheriff hopper the best i have it flipped and only because steve harrington's arc we don't see very often and you are 100 percent right anthony it's not as compelling in season two uh season one he goes through a much broader arc and he goes from literally being like i have in my notes like he's a giant dick like there's no question like (laughs) this dude is not the dude you want to hang out with like um he's the worst but at the end like what you mentioned it anthony he picks up the baseball bat and you're like my man steve like look at this guy this guy's awesome um so i know that his his arc in season two is a little weaker but you don't see that arc where you hate some someone and then you love them like you don't see that as often and a lot of times the journey is a pretty rough one on the way to liking that person i'm not saying this one isn't but they turn steve around from a character who i thought would be basically eaten by the demogorgon um (laughs) to saving the day and that's pretty amazing so we're, it sounds like we're all pretty much on the same page, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think in season two, Steve became a little bit more of, like, comic relief. Yes. Like, especially yeah. in his interactions <laughs> with Dustin. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's fine. It was good. It was funny. But it's not nearly as exciting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brianna, I will start with you on this question. When the show starts, they're playing D&D, and it feels like D&D is being used as an extended metaphor throughout the first season. The second season doesn't tie D&D in um, as much until the very end, but it does come back around. So does the D&D metaphor work for you? Why or why not? Uh, I think it does work uh, for explaining the monsters and the upside-down world. 
just because the kids are so passionate about it and it makes sense that they would compare their real life to it because mm. that's definitely something I do is anything I watch or read or anything I compare it to my real life and I think that's it works for the show mm. yeah absolutely absolutely we tend to do that with stories right we tend to look at our real lives and we tend to look at stories and then start comparing the two for sure what do you think Anthony yeah, I mean, I think it was it was a fun way to immediately kind of contextualize, uh, like like Brianna said, a lot of the other elements that are in the story, like the monsters. I really loved the scene when the upside down gets its name. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Because it, it's so powerful to for, uh, they 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 are able to communicate so much without even very much dialogue. I mean, just having Eleven flip the board over is is really. Right. Um, <laughs> like weirdly moving so i mean yeah. i like that and and i i i guess i kind of see how they they went you know they, they were going in a different direction i've, I've read and, and seen some some people arguing that that season two is is supposed to be like the fact that it starts off in the arcade and the video uh, games that they're playing are supposed to be like that's what sets the tone for season two but then they eventually come back around to D and i i, I like that better actually so the fact that they're kind of setting up the mind flayer as, as like the the big bad of of the series or something, um, I'm excited. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. It felt to me like in season two, and and you can look at like who directed the episodes, and whenever the Duffer brothers direct an episode, uh, you can tell that they have a not not a different agenda per se. Um, but as the showrunners, they understand where the heart of the show is. And the Duffer brothers did those last few episodes where they start to connect D&D &D back into it. So for me, I, th I think that's actually a really good point that they're trying to connect to the arcade at first. But ultimately, that 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 parallel doesn't and that metaphor doesn't really work as well. So I'm glad that they brought D&D &D back into it because it really, really works for me. Um, we've used, we've seen so many metaphors in the past to the point where so many of them are cliche. I mean, virtual reality, dream worlds, the afterlife, all of those are, you know, <laughs> super popular in our, in our storytelling. And I had not, I, I've seen a couple things that may be more D and D like where they're the real world interacting with something, but it's not very common. Um, probably because people don't think D and D is as popular as it actually is. Um, and so they, they don't think it would be as, um, relatable, but, mm -hmm. The other thing I haven't seen much of is I haven't seen much of D&D &D used specifically more for a horror show. I don't know that you could say this is a horror show for sure, but it definitely leans in that direction. It's it's not necessarily sci-fi. These aren't really aliens that we're dealing with. There's some technology that's there, um, obviously in season one, where, these, where we open up the portal, but it's really more about how do we deal with these creatures and this, this evil, um, which we're gonna get into soon. But I felt like the D&D &D angle was really fresh, it was new, and it was never spelled out so that it was like, oh, by the way, D&D &D is real and we're like living in this real world, but also D&D &D exists. It wasn't that. It was, yeah. this is how the kids make sense of the things that are happening, um, which I really liked. So any other thoughts on D&D &D as it relates to Stranger Things? I think if you, uh, or what you just said, if they had, done D and D more as like a, a reified concept where, where it like, look, yes. And this is actually the world of D and D that would have been 
much less interesting. Well, I, I don't. Yeah. We, I don't think people would have really cared about it because then it's a D and D show. Exactly. It's not Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah, exactly. And like the, I think one of the things that people loved about Stranger Things is that it's it's referencing and kind of um, relying on all sorts of familiar tropes, but it is very much its own new kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. I do think we can all agree that Dustin has achieved level ten elf wizard by the time season two ends though i do think we can all agree to that (laughs) what's up story geeks it's jay i'm excited because on july 19th 2019 we're re-releasing time slingers the time travel novel written by me and illustrated by nathan sheck a writer's digest judge who reviewed time slingers said Fast pacing and powerful hooks will keep the attention of readers from the first page to the last. It seems like one of those trailblazing pieces of work, giving it a place in literary history. Wow. We were very appreciative of that review. And it's not just the Writer's Digest judge who liked it. We've had an incredible response from readers who liked the breakneck pacing and cliffhangers at the end of every chapter. In fact, one listener of the Story Geeks podcast, Chris, said loved the cliffhanger ending which is also a resolution not many stories can manage that thanks chris if you're looking for a fast-paced time travel adventure story with some depth to it check out time slingers it'll be available on amazon starting on july 19th 2019 the link to purchase time slingers is in the show notes special thanks to everyone who has supported our re-release we appreciate all of you Um, now I'm going to get into a little bit of a deeper question here. The show definitely has a good versus evil vibe to it. It's not necessarily on the nose with those things, though sometimes it is. Um, and particularly when you bring in the upside down and the Demogorgon and the mind flayer and all of those types of things, those seem to draw parallels between good and evil. So my question, I'll start with you, Anthony. Um, what do the storytellers indicate is evil and what do they indicate is good? Uh, well, okay, so I, I think this this is the point where I'm contractually obligated to bring up Tolkien, uh, as, as always. <laughs> There's always one point yeah. on the show, yeah. yeah exactly. well, I, and, and this is, I mean, D&D and, and Tolkien are very, I mean, they're different things, but they're uh, frequently intertwined. And uh, especially in terms of, like, setting up our modern conception of, of epic fantasy stories. But one thing that Tolkien always did was, and he's he's praised for this, and he's also in, in some ways, I think, rightly criticized for this, is that he made his good and evil characters very obvious, and a lot of it had to do with their physical appearance. So the good characters are beautiful, for the most part. The good characters are beautiful, and the bad characters are ugly. And you, know, you think of the elves versus the orcs. Um, the exception to that is if you're really, really beautiful, then you're probably really, really evil. Uh, (laughs) and, and you don't see this so much in the Lord of the Rings. Um, you you get it more in in some of the the backstory with, um, like who Sauron was, but in Stranger Things, uh, I I definitely think you have that. I mean, the, the, the upside down is like this broken, burned dirty place that's just it's ugly it's slimy the demogorgons are are just covered with teeth and it 
it looks familiar. I mean, it, it it's it is our it is it is our world, but but marred in in some very powerful way. And and this is one of the things I really did like about season two um, because they did start to bring in and and I am super excited because it looks like they're going to play this up in season three. The character of Billy Hargrove. Oh yeah. It looks like we may finally have a character who is super pretty and also super evil, uh, <laughs> because he's. I, I mean, you don't really know what's going on with him in season two. Like he's definitely introduced, and you don't like him. And there's that super creepy scene with the mom, but then he's just kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of left. I mean, it, I, not not much really comes of it, but just from the the previews, it looks like he's going to be a big part. Of season three, so I'm hoping. I don't know. This is a, this is a, this is a uh, speculation, but if if the Mind Flayer and Billy like in some way start teaming up or interacting, then I'm I'm excited for where that could go. <clears throat> okay, okay. What about you, Brianna? What do you think is what is it? What is the show telling us is evil, and what is the show telling us is good? Well, I think it shows like especially in season one, the creatures and the people in like Dr. Brenner and the Hawkins lab, they mm. were doing everything for their own gain or to hurt others. And the mm. good people like Joyce and Hopper, they were specifically protecting others and helping others. So that's, that's what I got by what they showed as good and evil. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, that's and that's a pretty standard like hero villain, right? Heroes yeah. help other people. Villains uh, are trying to help themselves, and that's pretty much it. Um, I have a I have a giant list, and so so I want to I'm gonna go through it, and then I'll have you guys react to some of them as we go, okay? Because um, I think the show has there's things that it says and declares are obvious evils. I think there are parts of the show that are less obvious evils, and then I think that there are ob obvious good and then less obvious good that you might actually kind of kind of miss if you if you're not paying attention. Um, not that you would not that you would miss them. I'm not suggesting that, but you would not necessarily identify them as good and evil just right off the bat. Um, so obvious evils start there. I have four of them: forcing kids into dangerous situations. So you have the doctor in Eleven. Obviously, that's super evil, and I think most people would identify that as immediately evil. Um, experimenting on kids, the Doctor and Eleven as well. Uh, bloodthirsty monsters, <laughs> definitely evil. <laughs> um, and then bullying. Bullying is pretty prevalent yeah. in the show because not only do the four kids get bullied, um, but also uh, Steve and his friends bully Jonathan. So bullying is kind of a theme. Less obvious evils. These are things that I think the show is suggesting could be evil or depending on the context that they're in especially in the show that they are uh, uh an evil okay i'm using the word evil let me just define that for a second because as soon as i read the first one people are gonna go what that's evil but like i don't i don't i don't want to i don't want to say to to people that like that evil is the i'm not using evil in the i'm, I'm using the evil in the terms of uh, it's not necessarily healthy okay um, so I'm not, so when I say this, don't like immediately jump on my case because it's, it's just not healthy. Okay. So the first one is broken families. And I say that because we definitely see a lot of conflict and trauma arising from Jonathan's relationship with his dad. And that family is, is, is in 
hardship. That family is Joyce is having to do a a lot of work. She can't even um, be around her kids as much, and it's all because the dad is basically a dirtbag, right? And yeah. that family broke up because of that. Um, however, the show also points to absentee parenting. So even in the families that are together, you see Mike's parents not having a clue what he's, what's going on <laughs> with their kids at all, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, it's not surprising that in the preview for season three, we would get the mom being tempted by, uh, I, don't, I forget his name. What you Billy. his name, Anthony? Billy, Yeah. <laughs> It's not really surprising that we would see that because the father, uh, Mike's father, her husband, is totally oblivious to everything, yeah. and clearly there's a lack of intimacy there, right? Yeah. Um, so I would tell, I would say that maybe those things aren't evil, but they definitely are not healthy, right? Um, and then the last thing I would, or there's actually a couple more on here, but one of them is tr uh, tragedy and trauma. And what's interesting about tragedy and trauma in Stranger Things and I like it because there's complexity here, is that people aren't always the ones that are causing the tragedy or trauma. Sometimes the tragedy or the trauma just occurs. Um, it is just part of living in the world. It's not something that Sheriff Hopper didn't do anything and then his daughter died, right? His daughter died because the world sometimes sucks. Um, and so that there's a, there's a there's a form of that that is that is evil. So you've got Sheriff Hopper dealing with his daughter's death, um, and and the the we talked about how his life is in shambles a little bit because his trauma is very difficult to deal with. Um, Will is experiencing the trauma of the upside down. Eleven having experienced the trauma of her childhood, and I think if I were to make an even deeper cut here, I would say the sub evil related to each of those characters and trauma or the underlying evil is loneliness because they're all experienced. Like Will is extremely by himself trying to reach out to other people and having a difficult time doing that. Uh, Hopper goes home and drinks and then wakes up and goes to work. I mean, like there's no, he, the relationships he has are not good relationships outside of work really. Um, and then 11, of course, has toxic relationships with her fake dad, the doctor, right? Dr. Banner. So um, other less obvious, unhealthy things, betraying friendships, that comes up with Mike in 11 in season one. It comes up with Lucas and Mike in season one. A lot of my references are from season one because I've watched it like three times. <laughs> um, so just FYI. Uh, and then finally, this one's really interesting to me, but I think the show is saying that something that's, that is, can be less healthy, not necessarily a super evil or anything like that, but it can be less healthy, is a skepticism. Because Lucas is really skeptical, but Lucas is really wrong. <laughs> and Lucas makes a lot of... Like, I, I compare myself to Lucas because I feel like Lucas, right? Like, what are we doing, guys? Like, you're not going to just pick up this girl off the street and, like, have her stay in your basement. Like, that's crazy <laughs> town. Uh, but, but at the same time, Lucas is always wrong. So I don't think that they're saying that skepticism is unhealthy, but they're saying that too much skepticism should be checked. So any of those, any of those things that you guys would respond to, I know that was a lot, <laughs> but anything that came up that you wanted to, to touch base on? Yeah, what do you think, Brianna? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I kind of agree with all of it. The broken families thing uh, definitely affected the characters and the absentee parents was definitely kind of an evil because mm -hmm. uh, they're not 
taking care of their kids pretty much. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh, so I, I definitely, um, I, I really like the, the point you made about loneliness because um, that is, it's not a word that I'd really associated explicitly with the, with the season, but if you wanted to, or with the show, but if, mm. you, if you were trying to give one kind of overarching theme in a lot of ways, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Because if there is one thing that the Upside Down really feels like, it's lonely. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And so I think it's interesting, Brianna, that, that I gave examples of like the, the embodied monstrous quote-unquote evils. But the things you all said were uh, like specific choices that the human agents had made. So I, I hear that. So I'm curious because <clears throat> these these do seem like two very different kinds of evils, right? Like the, the evil of the Demogorgon yep. and the evil of the of of Doctor Bruner are very different yeah. kinds of evils. And and I do think there's a good point that that yeah. Bruner is worse in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> sure. on, yeah. on some level, I mean, yeah, the Demogorgon is, is scarier because it's slimy, but I don't know. I mean, it, it it doesn't really seem to be the sort of thing that you can blame in the same way that you can blame a man for torturing a child for years and years and years. You know, the Demogorgons just kind of seem to be a monster, like a like an animal even. And the Mind Flayer, maybe. That, that, that's the one resident of the Upside Down that does seem to be more maybe responsible and that so we'll see what happens with that but but yeah i mean if if the monster if the monsters if the upside down is is like this embodiment like this manifestation of of loneliness and, and abandonment and all these kind of like negative emotions uh then that really highlights the actions of, of those human agents even more to cause all that loneliness mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah yeah it's 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 i mean as i go through all of those things right like it's a complex show they're they're they one of the things i think that the duffer brothers and their slew of writers and directors have done really really well is that they have tied together a bunch of different things that feel real but they also have now obviously there's some missed subplots here and there. I had a question about that, but we're not going to have time to get there, so I'll have to address that in the aftercast. But there are some subplot misses here and there. But for the most part, you can watch this show and go, "Wow, there's a lot of complexity in this show." So, I'm going to jump into some of the things that I thought were examples of good, just because why I talk about evil all day long? <laughs> like we we got to have some good in there. So, I have some obvious goods. Uh, connection and intimacy is obviously good. Like, there's never a point when connection and intimacy is bad, except when it's fake. Meaning, mm -hmm. like the 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 Doctor Eleven relationship, um, Will and Joyce, and Will and Jonathan. I mean, those are fantastic examples of intimacy. Joyce will do anything to get Will back, including putting herself in extreme danger um, and believing insane things. Uh, and Jonathan, basically the same. He goes and confronts his dad. He's not a conf confrontational guy, but he goes to confront his dad because he's he's willing to do that for his brother. Um, Mike and Eleven, uh, all four of the boys, Eleven and Hopper, especially in season two where there's a lot of intimacy but a lot of fear. And so there's this like kind of a toxic relationship between the two of them, but it's because of each of their own. Eleven is super fearful of being... Uh, uh, confined 
and yet Hopper is super fearful of losing somebody. So you have that tension between them because she feels confined and he feels like he's going to lose her if she's not confined. Um, even Steve and Nancy, to a certain extent, uh, develop intimacy. You don't think they're going to. You think it's just going to be, oh, well, Steve's just, you know, a dirtbag and it's going to not. But no, actually, it turns into sort of a more intimate relationship. Um, so that's a, that's a more obvious good, I think. Taking a stand against evil, standing up to bullies, uh, putting yourself in danger for your friends. I think that those are seen as good. That's kind of, Brianna, what you mentioned as you talked about being a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, self-sacrifice being a part of that. The less obvious good, I have two of them. Uh, the less obvious good would be helping strangers because it's it's interesting. Like this story does not play out if Mike does not take Eleven in. And he's under pressure not to do that from multiple angles, from his parents, from Lucas. Even Dustin is like, I don't know what to think about this. <laughs> um, so helping strangers is something that is the show would say that's really good for us to do. Um, that is not a message we necessarily hear a lot as being good because a lot of times we'll hear other messages as being good in relation to keeping strangers out. What do we do with refugees? Well, we don't want them around because they might hurt us, right? Um, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not going to get into a deep discussion on the angles about when that's good, when that's bad, and how to do that well and how to do that safely. I'm not going to do that because that's a different discussion. All I'm saying is Stranger Things would be on the side of saying, you know, we really should maybe with some discretion, we should help other people out, even strangers. Um, the other thing I'll bring up before I get your guys' response to it is the opposite of skepticism, right? Like, like if Joyce becomes skeptical or if anybody becomes super skeptical and is like, okay, this is crazy. This is not happening. Let's call in the ghost hunters. They're going to debunk this. It's going to be fine. Um, if anybody does that, then we never get Will back. And Joyce goes to basically uh, uh, an asylum of some kind. Um, so in my mind, I think that openness and uh, the opposite of skepticism is really important here. Brianna, do you want to respond to any of that? What do you see in the show that, like you talked about self-sacrifice being a really good thing. What are some examples that you see of other forms of good that you'd be like, oh yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to say that Lucas was right with his skepticism because if oh. if they if he hadn't brought it up to them they could have gotten in a lot of danger they could have done some things that they shouldn't have and they did mm. eventually do that but i think lucas's uh skepticism and him saying hey this is a bad idea was good because honestly that's how i would react in the situation uh because they have to Somebody has to be the one that says, hey, maybe we should take this to adults. <laughs> Somebody who can take That's care of the situation. Point. That's a really good point. And actually, uh, I would be, I would also be the Lucas in the situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd be like, what in the world is going on here? I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, there is. So if you look at the show, you'd say, okay, well, they kind of suggest that what Lucas is advocating for would put everything in trouble because we, but we also know part of the reason that is a problem is because of the parents, not because Lucas mm-hmm. says we should take this to the parents. Cause honestly, they probably should take it to the parents. The problem is, is that they kind of know that the example of the parents we see in terms of Mike's parents specifically, um, 
because Joyce is all in. She believes, but Mike's parents are not going to believe, and they're going to make a bunch of mistakes along the way. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's not they're not necessarily saying that skepticism is evil, but they're also saying that. But we should be open. Like we should skepticism isn't. It can be evil if you take it to too far of an extent where you're unwilling to believe in anything that could be paranormal, supernatural, whatever you want to call it. But at the same the same by the same token. Um, openness is also advocated for so i like that no i think you're right like some skepticism is good and i think we can all look at that and go yeah lucas is not he's not trying to be a jerk he's trying to advocate for safety and making sure that someone gets help because i mean 11 does need a lot more help than mike is able to give her yeah so yeah i think that's a really really good point well i i think uh i think that the portrayal of skepticism goes hand in hand with the portrayal of, of loneliness in in this story because uh, if you think about the the people who the, the people who are skeptical and gradually come to realize what is actually going on like harbor harper uh, <clears throat> Har- Har- not harbor um, <laughs> like hopper <laughs> yeah, yeah. played by david harbor yeah um like <laughs> hopper that's not a computer uh, he, you know, he's, he's very skeptical and very closed off at the beginning. And gradually, as he comes to, comes to believe, I mean, it sounds kind of hokey when you put it that way, but when he comes to believe, um, he also starts to build these relationships, too. Mm. And so I think that it is kind of a double-edged sword that, that like, like you were saying, openness is a good thing, but... Mm. it's also something that is is good i mean it, there's uh an element of caution that that's kind of uh important to to have because other i mean if you open yourself up to every single person and, and thing that you meet then next thing you know you're getting sucked up in a tornado of evil and possessed by the mind flare <laughs> right so right. So yeah, being being kind of skeptical, but but walking that line where where you're kind of being realistic and not not uh, just following every every wind of of changing doctrine, but at the same time not letting that skepticism override your very deep human need for community and, and connection. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good way of putting it. I think it's really, really strong. Um, I'm going to ask you guys this one last question I have for you. There's going to be some more things that um, I'm going to go into on the aftercast, but I know that we're running up against time. So I want to ask. I'll ask you first, Anthony, just in case we run out of time, and then Brianna, you can ask. You can answer the question after that. But based on what you've seen thus far. I'm curious as to what you think the upside down is. Is it a metaphor for something? Does it mirror something in the real world? Like, what exactly is going on with the upside down, Anthony? <laughs> uh, I will say this based on something I think you said earlier. If it turns out that the upside down is hell, I'm going to be really annoyed. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like that. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's what it's going to be because that's like it's that would be too easy and, and cheap and, and annoying. Um, I know that they, they talk about the, like the multiple universes stuff and, and how, you know, maybe this is just one other of, of, of many, many, many multiple universes out there. I don't know. I mean, I think that's interesting, but I, I, I'm inclined to think that whatever the upside down is, it is particularly connected with our world and only our world or, you know, the, the, the main world of the show. 
Um, and, and so much so that I, I'm even uh, suspicious mm. that Eleven wasn't somehow responsible for creating the Upside Down in the first place. Mm. Uh, I mean, when when she was in the in in the uh, the tank, and, you know, and she met the Demogorgon for the first time. I mean, obviously, there's something else out there. This mind flare that we don't really know anything about is is out right. there. So it's it's not just like I don't think it's just necessarily Eleven, mm. but I mean, it really seems like the the rift at least was opened accidentally by her in that moment when when she was connecting with the Demogorgon in whatever that mental space was. Hmm. But the fact that the, the upside down looks so much like um, like the present day world with hmm. with all of the same buildings and, and even like Will's camp, you know, his little his shack lean to thing. I mean it, it's very contemporary. So it, it it's not like something that has it doesn't seem like it's something that's changed and developed and grown on its own. It just—it looks like a carbon copy of our world that is broken, mm. uh, like something that was flash created uh, very recently, <laughs> and maybe infected mm. by whatever this whatever this 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 force or this mind flayer thing is, and, and mm. all of these uh, animal monster demodog demogorgon things. I don't know, but I'm I'm hoping that I mean, that would explain some of the some of the ways that you can interact with the with the main world from the upside down through you know through the lights through <laughs> pushing through the walls that sort of thing hmm. um, I don't know but I, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe they explore it a little bit more in season three but I'm actually kind of okay with not knowing I think it, it's kind of exciting like we were saying earlier to perpetuate some of the mystery I think that's kind of fun yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> Brianna what do you think uh, I actually have a working theory about what the Upside Down is. Perfect. I think it was actually created from Will's mind or imagination. Interesting. Because uh, I think it's very interesting that he was in the Upside Down the whole of season one. And the only other person who's been in contact with it and didn't die was Eleven. Mm. Will was kept alive in the Upside Down that whole time time he was down there mm. and the mind flayer decided to possess will not kill him when he came in contact with him so i think the monsters could be doing their own version of protecting him uh instead of trying to kill him like they have been with everyone else they've come in contact with Interesting. Yeah. That is like a that. great theory. So, so, so you could almost argue that like Will was one of the kids with Eleven who was being experimented on, perhaps. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Oh, that'd be a trip. Because think about it this way. I mean, obviously, Will's dad would definitely sell his kid to that experiment, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's every indication that that dude would do that. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting theory because they really are trying to protect him. He doesn't die when he's down there. Everyone else does, including Barb. Justice for Barb. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Really, I really like that theory. That's really fantastic. Now, we're yeah, coming I'm up not... on some... Well, go ahead, Anthony. Oh, I had not considered the uh, the possibility of, of the monsters protecting Will. That's a, uh, I mean, because certainly in in the first season you're kind of led to believe that he's in danger, and it certainly looks like he's being 
eaten or absorbed or something there at the end when they when they save him in the library. But but yeah, that's I I'm gonna have to think more about that. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I like, I like it a lot. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and um, finish out the show there. I am gonna do an aftercast, so you will get my opinion on what the upside down is a metaphor uh, for. I also will talk a little bit about uh, the motivation of the villains. What what exactly do these creatures want? Um, so we'll get into that a little bit more on our aftercast. But Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice to meet you, Brianna. We'll uh, talk to you later. Yeah, always fun to have Anthony. And always check out our blogs because Anthony writes a bunch of blogs. Those blogs are fantastic. If you have any bent towards philosophy in your geekdom, then you're going to want to latch on to the things that Anthony is writing. <laughs> Uh, awesome. and, and, and Brianna, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Brianna, you are a patron, and we are so grateful for our patrons. Thank you for being a patron of ours. Um, any last thoughts on Stranger Things before we say goodbye? I can't wait for the new season. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool. That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Brianna, a patron of ours. Thank you so much. All of our patrons, we're super grateful for you. Maybe you should become a patron. Maybe someday you'll be on the show too. And also Anthony Holder, who writes blogs for us and has a brilliant philosophical mind. So thanks especially to both of you guys for joining me. Also, we have a series going on right now on our main podcast channel about the X-Men. So definitely check that out. We end that with Dark Phoenix, which has been very controversial. A bunch of people have said they don't like it. Daryl really likes it. How do I feel? You'll have to listen in to that series. Subscribe on your preferred podcast provider to make sure you don't miss any upcoming shows. If you enjoyed the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're going to start recording our aftercast, so I hope you'll join us for that as well. We'll be talking more about seasons one and two of Stranger Things, especially some subplot issues and my feelings about the Upside Down. Get more information on our aftercast and all of our other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Samuel Pellequin, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards, or just to support the show, we appreciate that too, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.